92.3 and AM 16.20. Welcome to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. Hope you are having a great Saturday. I uh, hope you have recovered from Pensacon. Uh, I will be just straight with you. I have not. Uh, it is, uh, you know, it's a it's a marathon run for me. And, you know, for everybody else, it was over Sunday. But for me, it's uh, continued on through the week. And, you know, we're just ramping up already into next year because we're uh, we're coming back in February next year. So yeah, if I sound a little run down, a little uh, little horse in the throat, all that kind of stuff, it, it it's there for real. I'm, I'm not lying to you. Uh, of course, I you know hope you're also enjoying the fact that we have the three mile bridge back. So if you want to go to the bridge, you don't have to take a 90 minute drive across the Garson Point Bridge. You can uh, just go straight through Gulf Breeze like we used to do back in back in the olden days. So glad to be able to get back out there. And of course, I hope a lot of people are enjoying. Uh, going on right now, the the delayed Pensacola Mardi Gras parade or the Carnival parade, I guess they're calling it this year. If you if you're there for some reason and listening to news radio and you see me going by, don't be alarmed. I'm not in two places at once. Uh, I will be on the Pensacon float in the parade, but we pre-record the show, so uh, so I'm not magically you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm talented, but I'm not that talented. Speaking of talented, we've got a very talented young man on the line with us this morning. Joining us as he so frequently does on the show, please welcome to the show from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube, Jeremy Branch. Hey, what's up, Julio? Hey. Uh, we're back, baby. I guess it was a great, great weekend. And then, yeah, we're just kind of jumping straight into Memorial Day, Mardi Gras, all these great things going on at once. And I think I'm a little overstimulated, man. I, I feel like maybe because it had been so long since I went out that when I crashed, I crashed like twice harder than normal. So that was my experience. How are you? Uh, how are you recovering? Yeah, you you sound like you're much more lively than me. I, I, I in fact, I kind of want to hurt you for it, <laughs> but <laughs> but it's okay. Uh, no, it's uh, you know, like I said, uh, you know, for 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 folks that don't work directly on the show, Pensacon is a is a three day weekend, and maybe you count uh, pick uh, picking up the pass on Thursday, or if you went out to to one of the events that was going on during the week, that sort of thing. For me, it's like, uh, well, it's a year-round job, first of all, but uh, the, the the couple of weeks leading up to the show and the week after the show are are pretty much nonstop, so I haven't really had a break yet. Uh, so, uh, you know, we'll get through Saturday, and then I'm going to take a, we'll get through today, and then I'll take a couple of days off and uh, and see how I feel, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling it still. It's uh it's uh, like I said, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And uh, you, the thing is, we take the marathon at a sprint. So, uh, you know, but, you know, hopefully everybody had a great time. And that's the important thing. It seems to me not to toot our, my own horn or our organization's own horn at any rate. But uh, what I heard back in feedback from most people was was very positive. You know, uh, most uh, most of our attendees seemed like they had a great time. Uh, most of our guests and our agents seem like they were very happy. Most of our vendors seem like they were very happy. So I, I'm chalking it up as a win, you know, coming back after the pandemic was not easy, but uh, I, I heard, like I said, lots of good things. I also heard, heard a lot of people tell me uh, within the, within the convention world, the people I'm talking more like vendors and agents and not necessarily the regular people that just go to the event, but the, those kind of people that this is their business. This is what they do year round. They travel around to these shows and that's how they make their living. 
were telling us, you know, hey, the whole industry is watching you this weekend because we were the first yeah. decent size show to come back. We happened to be one of the last ones to go off before the pandemic. We happened to be one of the first one, first bigger ones back. There's been some smaller ones, but we're, you know, we're a pretty decent sized show. So we were hearing that a lot. You know, the, the industry is watching you this weekend. Everybody's watching you. Everybody's counting on you. So no pressure there at all. Uh, no, of course not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, you, you tell me, Jeremy, you were there all weekend. Now, I know you uh, spent a lot of time at our short film festival, so that's going to give you some perspective there, and we'll talk about that. But uh, did you get to enjoy any of the show beyond that? So everything about the show that I experienced, I really enjoyed. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm kind of in my own pocket universe down there uh, where the film festival is at. It's kind of the ecosystem within itself. And I really like that because people do come over from the convention and they'll be a part of it. Some people show up to multiple screenings and I, I really love that people are that invested in it. But I'm going to be honest, Julio, uh, leading up to the event, I was very, very, and I'm sure everyone was just like, this could really go any direction. This could, this could be fantastic or this could be a disaster because there are so many external factors working for us, working against us, and all those things almost simultaneously. And by the, you know, midpoint of Saturday, I was like, this has been a complete success. I mean, I don't know what the numbers look like behind the scenes, but as far as attendees, everybody seems super happy. The, uh, the weather wasn't unbearably hot. It was actually pretty mild and nice, which was great before the summer kicks off. So, uh, yeah, as far as everything I saw, it went really well. And I, I wish I would have been able to spend a little bit more time down there, you know, and uh, maybe met Patrick Warburton or something like that. But to be honest, I just I really like the fact that we have a film festival and we're showing off so many films from talented people from all over the world. Well, you know, of course, if you had if you had tried to go meet Patrick Warburton, I think you would have probably missed at least a couple of screenings because uh gentleman had a line throughout the weekend. He was uh, he was quite a popular figure, but uh Seemed like everybody, you know, I, I know I talked to him briefly. I talked to his folks. They had a great time, and I, I talked Good. to lots of people who got a chance to meet him and were very happy to do so. But tell us a little bit more about how the uh, how the film festival screenings went. Uh, you know, kind of give us the, you know, give us a skinny. Tell us about, you know, who won, what the audience feedback was like, that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. Um, so we had screenings throughout Friday, Saturday, and then about the first half of Sunday, and each different screening was a different genre. And then we threw two all ages categories in there. And the reason for that is so that we could showcase films that maybe younger audiences would, you know, not be able to attend because a lot of the films we get have, you know, adult content, uh, language, violence, things like that. Others of them are completely family friendly and innocuous and not something you'd worry about showing your children. So we allotted two special slots so each and every one of those screenings had pretty good attendance. I mean, you you go into it understanding that Friday afternoon panels are going to be a little bit more difficult for general uh, attendees to go to just simply because they've got work and stuff like that. As the day progressed, they just built and built. And uh, it seems to me like horror on Friday night was probably the biggest. Actually, it was horror on Saturday night was probably the biggest of the uh, – of the screenings and horror fans are just, a, they're an enthusiastic bunch. And I feel like they're, I, I see a bunch of kindred spirits among them. So I really always enjoy that part of the festival. But then our winners this year were, were fantastic. You, myself, Steve Wise, Derek Diamond, uh, LeVon French, and maybe even West watched all of them and were able to, uh, 
go through and at least pick the ones that we were exhibiting for the film festival. And then the winner of the jury award, which was done by Celebrity Panel, the winner for that one was a film called It's Okay. And I don't want to get into it. It's got a little bit of a kind of Black Mirror-esque vibe to it. It was one that really resonated with me. And Julio, I know we talked about it. Was that... um, was that pretty high up on your list of ones that you liked? Did it did it not really work for you? Yeah, no, that was that was one of the better ones, and I was glad to see that the the jury recognized it. Uh, of course, uh, our best in show, which was chosen by the the judges, was uh, Monstrous Circus. Correct? Yes, that is correct. And it is you know it would have been almost disingenuous of us to choose something else because that movie looked like a, a Hollywood production, as far as I'm concerned. The, it, you know, it had this huge cast of extras fantastic monster makeup work in it, uh, a dance number, choreography, just all of these things that you don't expect to see in a film festival. So I think it was a well-deserved win, and uh, the audience ate that one up. Had uh, we had we have chosen multiple films as winners, it, it might have actually walked away with the Audience Choice Award as well. Um, however, you know, we didn't decide to go that direction, just so that you can pass the love around. But yeah, and then the third and final was the Audience Choice Award, which obviously the people that attend the screenings throughout the weekend, that's the one that they're able to vote for. And they ended up picking a film called Gone. And it's a horror film. It was another one of the just definite standouts of the weekend. But, you know, I think we screened probably 60 movies or something going into this thing. And it's just, there are so many talented filmmakers that are out there doing things well, we've got to take a break, but we'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. Uh, we uh, One of the things we uh, didn't get to pay much attention to over the past couple weeks because we've been so busy with Pensacon, uh, there is brand new Duran Duran music out in the world. That is uh, their new single, Invisible, uh, that just uh, dropped in the last couple of weeks. Looking forward to a full brand new album, first in a little while, from Duran Duran. And hopefully, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, maybe a, maybe a U.S. tour would be great to see them live again. But at this point, I'm ready to see almost anybody live because I'm just dying for live music to come back. We had uh, some great area bands play at Pensacon over the weekend, but I'm really looking forward to those tours coming back. And 
and getting to see some of our favorite live music again. Uh, joining me on the line is Jeremy Branch from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube, and we've been kind of going over our Pensacon experience this past week and, and talking about some of the things we saw and liked, didn't like, that sort of thing. And uh, Jeremy, you had uh, you started to ask me something about the show during the break, and I, I thought it might be something the listeners might be interested in hearing too, so I'll ask you to repeat your question if you don't mind. Yeah, you guys get a little peek behind the scenes because I was curious. Uh, Julio is very heavily involved. I, I just get a little taste of it on the film festival side, but I wanted to kind of get Julio's take on whether or not it's more difficult to set something up and kind of get all of the pieces in, a, in like arranged and in order at the beginning, or is it harder after you're wiped out on Sunday to you know break everything down and, and close the convention center and basically just shut down the convention at the end? So. In your experience, Julio, what what was the more difficult part? To me, believe it or not, it's actually the the lead up rather than the tear down. The tear down mm. goes relatively quickly because uh, everybody's eager to get it done, and you still have you know a big portion of your volunteer force on hand, and so everybody's like kind of motivated to get out. And uh, you know, uh, a lot of us go and celebrate at McGuire's that evening, so everybody was eager to get over there and get some good food, something to drink and, uh, enjoy, enjoy themselves and kind of relax for a little bit. So the, the teardown is not that bad. The lead up is, is, uh, you know, and there's stuff that comes after the teardown. So, you know, when I say, you know, I said at the start of the show, I've still been tied up all week. I, I have, you know, we, we, uh, you know, we've got, of course, got to see all of our guests back off to where they came from. So making sure they get to, uh, to the airport, making sure they're taken care of all that sort of thing, saying our goodbyes that, uh, that takes a good portion of time and you know, getting everything back into storage, making sure everything was picked up, making sure we've, uh, you know, taken care of everybody that needs to be taken care of. There is a, a couple of days of that, two, three days, maybe four days of that after the show. But the immediate, you know, what people think about as, you know, as far as getting out of the venues, that all happens that night, that Sunday night. So, uh, right. you know, we're not really in the, we may have, you know, may have to run back and pick one or two things up, but generally we're not in the, uh, in any of the venues after Sunday night versus building it all up. It's a matter of getting everybody here, getting them all coordinated, getting them to where they need to be to, uh, you know, and that happens over several days. We typically are loading into the Bay center, uh, start loading into the Bay center for four days before the show, give or take. And, uh, you know, it, it kind of builds over time and the, you know, the bulk of it comes the, uh, the Thursday and then into Friday morning because we don't open until, uh, around lunchtime on Friday, but, uh, but it's more, you know, I, I keep saying marathon and sprint, but, the the, the load in is a marathon and the, the load out is a sprint in a lot of ways. Sure. Yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense. And for me, and I don't know, maybe this speaks to your experience as well, but like that hour before the doors open, when I'm looking around to make sure I have everything that I need set in place and then 20 minutes afterwards when I'm realizing that I might have overlooked this one little thing. So I've got time to correct it. And kind of like for me, Friday is a little bit of a, I don't want to say trial and error because that kind of undersells what it is that we do, but just like trying to figure out what is working and what is uh, probably not as effective as it could be. And then I come back on Saturday morning and I've got every little uh, detail and ev anticipate every little issue that's going to come up. So that that was kind of my experience. Do you, can you relate with that? Yeah, usually it's, uh, you know, putting out fires 
is is a big part of the, the first day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah. then by by Sunday, it's like down smooth, just in time to end it all. So, but that's 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 the nature of not just this event, but any kind of event like that. I mean, sure. I've, I've worked on other events. I've watched other people work on other events, and that's just the way it is. You know, that's that's how it is. And the the best test of any workforce, whether you're talking about something like this or or just you know your your folks that are working together in a store or a restaurant or uh, you know some kind of you know business or something like that, is that the ability to identify issues, flex with them and handle them without panicking is, is, the yes. way, you know, is the best way I could, could put it. And I mean, that, again, that's not just this event, that's life, you know, it's not sure. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's managing right, I got your one family. For you. Anything radio friendly, biggest fire you had to put out this weekend that we can talk about right now. Oh, I, I know there's, pro- I, there's probably some we can't talk about, but if there's one you can think of, we'd love to hear it. I mean, a lot of them wouldn't mean anything to anybody. It's sure. it's, it's uh, that's that's the thing. It's uh, as as glitzy and glamorous as it sounds to be like, oh, you know, we've got a hundred celebrities coming in and you know things like that. It's not there, there. There's nothing I could think of that would be like, oh, so certain celebrity was so demanding and wanted you know one of the moon and we only had, you know, Venus or anything like that. <laughs> not at all. It, to, to the contrary. I mean, I can't think of a single guests that I met this weekend, and I probably met 75% of them, at least briefly, that was anything but a lovely person, you know, I mean, just, you know, just, you know, and I I mean, to a person, like, I I cannot think of a single person that I thought was unpleasant this weekend. All right, well, you're not going to give me the goods there. Who was your favorite person that you met over the week? Or I don't want to say favorite person. What was your favorite encounter that you had meeting someone this weekend? I I mean, there were a lot of great people at the show. I, you know, I had a a real good time with Kate Flannery from The Office. Oh, Uh, cool. Yeah, I I actually danced with her at the, uh, at our big uh, 80s party Saturday night. So that was a lot of fun. That's great. Yeah. uh, You know, she was, uh, she was out there and she, if if you got to the party, man, she was a dance machine. I think she might have danced with just about everybody at the party at some point. That's great. Yeah, she was she was fantastic. Just super sweet, super nice. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall, just what a great guy. You know, just not a insincere bone in that man's body. He was you know happy to see everybody. He was just great to work with. Incredibly pleasant. But yeah, so uh, you know there really wasn't anybody like I could say there was a negative from. It was a. Uh, I think one of the things that I thought that was the most interesting all weekend was, you know, of course we had Kaylee Hoddle from Godzilla versus Kong here. She's yeah. the young girl who played Jen in the movie and she's hearing impaired. Her family is hearing impaired. So interacting with them through, uh, through our interpreters that we had here was interesting. But I think the most interesting thing I learned from her is that the, the ASL for Kong is actually pounding on your chest like an ape. Oh really? So, that's, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I just thought that was so cool, and I was just like, okay, if I if I remember nothing else in ASL, I, I can do thank you, and I can do Kong. So uh, <laughs> I think I'm I think I'm kind of covered. I mean, I guess I need to know yeah. how to get to the bathroom, but other than that, you know, it's it's about as much Spanish as I know. So <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I I just thought that was really cool. You know, there's that there's a, cool. a lot of little moments like that, but a lot of it too is just watching the the fans and their reaction and their, you know, the happiness on their faces. Uh, I got to assist with um, Ashley Eckstein from uh, Star Wars, Clone Wars and Rebels. She's the, well, I've heard of her. the, the creator That's of awesome. the, 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 the originator of the character Ahsoka Tano, who now is a, mm. 
a very big deal now that she's being played in live action by Rosaria Dawson. Uh, yes. But uh, she did uh, an interview with uh, the Rebel Legion and the 501st Legion, which are the the big Star Wars costuming groups. And actually, we had some representation from the national level from those groups here. Uh, a, a gentleman named Bill Holmes is the, the leader of the Rebel Legion nationally and is uh, big up in the 501st as well. And they were doing a, a charity stream, so I was able to to get them an interview with her for their charity stream. And uh, just watching all of those people get uh, so excited to be able to have just a couple of minutes with her. Our, our, our dear friend LaVon French was there as part of that, and I, I literally was watching her tear up. And uh, that was that was a cool moment. You know, some of the other, you know, some folks that I think we both know were you who are in those groups and were part of that, just watching them react to that was was a lot of fun. I know our, our friend Becca Smith was there too, and she was uh, she was very excited. And uh, April Edwards, a few of our other friends that are in, uh, involved in those groups. So that was a lot of fun. That's a big deal, yes. I mean, for Star Wars fans in particular, which we're all Star Wars fans, but for the people in the Legion, that is a, a big, big deal. So that's awesome that you were able to kind of set that up. Yeah, it, you know, getting to see things like that and, you know, it's it's a juggling act because you want to make the fans happy, but you got to make sure that they're not you know overdoing it with the guests and that sort of thing. But I, I think overall, it, it felt to me like the weekend went really well. It felt to me like most people were happy. Uh, I'm I'm sure someone will message me or email me and say otherwise, and that's fine. You know, we'll you know if we've got somebody that's unhappy, we'll do our best to make them happy. What what kind of feedback were you hearing over the weekend, Jeremy? Yeah, I mean, pretty much that like. So many people, obviously, I'm not telling anybody anything new here, but so many people have been cooped up, only able to see a handful of people. Maybe it's their family members. Maybe maybe actually they disregarded the whole thing in the entire time. This is the panhandle. However, there are people that have been kind of closed off from, from any sort of entertainment like that. And like you said about getting back to live music and, and just the idea of being able to get back out and do these things that we've been so excited about for a while, people were, were beaming. I mean, everybody just seems so enthusiastic. My favorite part of these conventions and this, this entire culture is just seeing how like enthusiastic and positive people are sharing over something like pop culture. Everybody seemed to be really, really just happy to be out and happy to be surrounded by people that like the same stuff as they do, you know, because family, you love them because you got to, but a lot of times they're not necessarily into the same stuff as you. So to be able to get out and be around like-minded people, I think was just, it's something that we all needed. Well, we have to take another break. We'll be back with more in just a moment. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. so You want 
You wanna cry, you crush your heart and hope to die Till it's over and then News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620 Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola I am your host Julio Diaz We've got Jeremy Branch from the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube on the line with us And uh, so couldn't help but play that song because we got to talk about the fact that new movie out this week quiet place part two so before we get into anything about the movie and jeremy i don't know if you've had a chance to see it yet i haven't had a chance to see it yet no i haven't but uh i you know we've been talking about how eager people are to get back out into the world and get back to doing the things that uh, they love to do and i think the fact that this movie is coming out is i'm looking at it as symbolic as of that because this was like before the pandemic, this was the next big movie that was slated to come out. This was kind of the first one that got pulled and, uh, and got pushed back because of the pandemic. So the fact that this is finally coming out now, uh, I think we're 15 months later. That to me is like, okay, we're getting back to normal because this was the one that was going to be the next big blockbuster that was dropping. That's really wild to think about the fact that it was 15 months ago. And maybe you remember the trailer, but I remember sitting in the theater and seeing that first trailer where they are in the vehicle trying to escape the city or, or something like that. It's this great set piece. It's very like reminiscent of Children of Men, that whole uh, kind of shootout scene in the vehicles. But it was so intense, and I feel like it does what a great sequel should do. And I guess the immediate comparison is alien to aliens. You build out the world, you uh, multiply the threat, and you kind of raise the stakes by just stepping back from the very intimate small-scale thing and get the kind of bigger world implications. So I, I am so excited about this movie. And The First Quiet Place was one of the most interesting movie-going experiences I'd ever had. So you're, so you're eager to go out and see this one then? I'm, I've got, I'm assuming you haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it yet, and yes, I'm very enthusiastic about checking it out. And when I say it was a un, like a unique movie-going experience, I've never been in a theater before where people were waiting to take a sip of their beverage or like to open up their pack of Twizzlers. Everybody in the audience was so locked in, and just the nature of the fact that the movie is so quiet, obviously, because it's right there in the name, but <laughs> the fact that it's so quiet is... Uh, it's it's just an interesting way to uh, see an audience so engulfed in in a movie. I don't, I don't know if your theater going experience was similar. It was it was you know it was that thing where you could hear every little noise in the theater because everybody sure. the film itself was so quiet and everybody was trying to be so quiet. But if somebody like took a bite of popcorn, you could hear it. That kind of thing. Uh huh. So you know that, that that proverbial pin drop kind of thing was going on. Uh, yeah, I thought the, the movie, the original movie was, was pretty great. Uh, which is why I was a little dubious about this one because I felt like it told a very complete story and I wasn't sure there needed to be anything more to that. And so when, and when I wasn't completely wowed by the trailers for the new one, but, uh, so yeah, I was kind of like, but then, you know, there's the combination now of the like I said, this being like kind of a signpost film in terms of having been the first one that was delayed, getting this one back on the calendar makes me feel like the calendar itself is going to get back on, on track. So that's exciting. Sure. But then the the reviews are outstanding. So that's the, that's the bigger thing. It's like this is running 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
Oh, uh, good. I which didn't is, know that. Yeah, That's which, awesome. So every bit as solid as the first one. Now, my wife has seen it already, and she said that uh, she loved it. So, you know, and she can be a tougher film critic than me. She doesn't she doesn't like as much stuff as I like. So the fact that uh, that that's the buzz out there makes me feel even better about it. I, you know, we'll see what people are doing with uh, with getting back into the movies. I think we're, we're seeing, you know, slow progression of people coming back. You know, we had a pretty good movie going audience for Godzilla versus Kong. Uh, I guess it's been about two months ago now. And uh, you know, Mortal Kombat did okay. The uh, the anime Demons uh, Demon Slayer did pretty well. Uh, I think we're going to have good audiences out there for this one. And I know that locally, uh, interestingly enough, you know, in, in the course of all of this stuff that's been going on the past few weeks, we also had these new CDC guidelines that have come down, where they're saying that if you are fully vaccinated, you don't have to, you don't need to wear a mask anywhere. And different businesses are taking different approaches to this, but my understanding is that uh, our local AMC theaters have done away with their mask mandate. So you mm. know, hopefully you are vaccinated if you're going out there and running around without a mask on. And if you are not fully vaccinated, it's very easy to get vaccinated now. The lines have, uh, have pretty much died down. A lot of places are doing them as walk-ins now. So it should be very easy for you to go ahead and get your, your one or your two shots, depending on which vaccine you go with, and uh, and get that taken care of. So, you know, please do because... As much as we're acting like it's a post-pandemic world, it really isn't until we get enough people immunized. So, you know, I'll, uh, that's my little soapbox for, for the moment. You know, please keep in mind, while I'm as excited as anybody to get back out there and enjoy everything, uh, it doesn't happen without enough people going ahead and taking the shot in the arm. And, and unless you have some kind of medical condition that prevents you from doing so, you should go do it. You know, I know. Yeah, you could have lots of other reasons, but I'm honestly not really interested in that. My daughter passes out at needles, and she was brave enough to, to go get both both shots, passed out both times, and dealt with it. So <laughs> if you know, if my daughter can do that, you you can do it. I, I you know I don't yeah. I don't want to hear any other excuses. You know if you have if you have a legitimate you know like a an immune deficiency or you know some kind of allergy to something that's in the shots or something like that, then yeah, that's, you know, that's a reasonable excuse. Those are about the only reasonable excuses. Uh, so, you know, that's my soapbox. Get mad at me about it if you want to, but do it anyway. <laughs> so, so um, one thing, I've, I don't know if we have time right now, but I know Army of the Dead just now came out. I know we talked a little bit about it in the lead up, and I didn't know if you had a chance to check it out. I haven't had a chance to watch it yet. I, I've been kind of hearing mixed reviews on it. Did you get to see it? I did. I did, and I can vouch for the mixed review thing. That's accurate. I don't, I don't, I don't think you would like it very much, Julio. But I, I do think it was, uh, it's got redeeming qualities in it. It's actually a, a pretty fun movie with a whole other conversation about pixels being missing from the frame. Have you heard about that? No. <laughs> so when you're watching the film, this is crazy. This is totally meta stuff that only me and Julio would find interesting. So you guys stick with us for a yeah, minute. So by all means, let's we, talk about it in front of a mass audience. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Just bear with us. Uh, yeah, no, but it's a quick conversation because apparently he was shooting with three different cameras and the prevailing theory is that one of them sensors was slightly messed up because when you're watching the film, it almost appears as if your television is broken because there's pinholes 
of light coming through in like three different places. Oh, wow. And it looks like it made it past the editing bay. It made it past the cinematographer. It made it all the way to Netflix without anybody seeing it. And now it's the only thing you can see in the movie. So I, I, and I think that he was his own cinematographer on this film. Zack Snyder he was. was his own cinematographer on this film. Did he, do you know, he did he edit it as well or? That's a good question. I know people like Robert Rodriguez do. I'm not really sure how heavily involved Snyder is in that. However, there's like a there's a behind the scenes movie that goes along with it where Snyder is nerding out over the cameras. He got this certain Japanese shallow depth of field lens that he just insisted upon using with one of the cameras and uh it's a very interesting effect, but he talks about I like these cameras because they have flaws. And I was kind of wondering, like, is this his way of passing this huge screw up off as a as an artistic choice? But uh, it just seems like all it would have taken was just somebody to hit the blend tool on that one pixel per <laughs> per scene or whatever, and it would have been good. But nope, nobody did it. Wow, that's interesting. So I wonder if they will. You know, you know, we've seen films come out in the past that have had some kind of issue with uh, with special effects or something like that, and then get even during their theatrical release, get re-edited. I know that that happened with uh, with Cats a couple of years ago. You know, they, they put it out and there was a, they got it, they got it out there. And, you know, let's put aside whatever other issues there were with that movie. There were some legitimately unfinished special effects in that film. And uh, that I guess people started complaining about once it came out. So they very quickly went in and, and fixed those effects. And a couple of weeks later had a, a new cut of it out that, that fixed those That's effects. That's interesting. Problem. So, you know, this is a little bit different release in that it's uh I think they did a very small theatrical release for this, like Netflix is doing with a lot of films now, uh, <laughs> specifically to, and I'm not necessarily saying that this particular film is an Oscar qualifier, although maybe it might be in something like special effects or something like that. But, uh, you know, that, that run to qualify for Oscar contention, they, they did that with this film, but you know, it's, it's going to live on streaming for basically forever. Uh, so it would not be difficult for them to go in and fix it and just throw it back up on on netflix for you know none worth none worth the wear you know if, if that's really the you know, the big problem it's not i'm not i'm not advocating for like a george lucas style special edition let's you know change vast I parts think you're of the talking movie about the snyder pixel cut is what it sounds like you're talking about <laughs> Yeah, I yeah, I don't Yikes. want I don't want this to be an excuse for a 7-hour cut of Army of the Dead. Or, or uh, you know, that that is that is not necessary. Not any more right. than a than a 4-hour cut of uh Justice League was, you know, it's mm. you know, and again, you know, not knocking that it was an improved cut of the film because it was, but uh Zach will take this as an excuse to add, you know, three and a half hours of footage to the film. Uh, we've got to take another break. We'll be back in just a moment with more. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Diamonds are forever. They are all I need to please me. They can stimulate to tease me. They won't leave in the night I've no fear that they might desert me Diamonds are forever Hold one up and then caress it Touch it, stroke it and undress it I can see everything 
News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620. Welcome back to Let's Go Pensacola. I am your host, Julio Diaz. We've got Jeremy Branch with the Movies Are Terrible channel on YouTube on the line with us. And uh, we've been just talking about a little bit of everything that's going on in pop culture. And, uh, you know, one of the big pieces of news that's come down in the last week is the uh, the news that Amazon is buying MGM uh, for something like a, a little short of $9 billion and getting access to, you know, an, incre- an incredible content library, including, of course, James Bond. Uh, and, and, and shout out to our new friend, Trina Parks, who was here with us for Pensacon this past week. Uh, she was, uh, of course, Thumper in Diamonds Are Forever, the first African-American Bond girl. So had to, mm. go, had to go with that for the music to come back in. But, uh, you know, legitimate big deal. Uh, you know, big tech company buys out, you know, a, an historic movie studio with an incredible library. And uh, what are you thinking about this, Jeremy? So when it comes to uh, big financial stuff, I, I don't, I'm terrible about understanding a lot of the inner workings, and I don't like talking out of turn, but I do find this thing to be incredibly interesting because at, for me and for you, and I'm sure for many people, MGM is a beloved studio that I put out so many just iconic films. They're like one of the original studios, you know, they've been doing it for a long time. And um, so Amazon's picking up a big content library there. As you said, the 007 thing, that's huge. Outside of that, though, they don't have too many properties. I mean, Creed and Rocky, that's a good one. There's a handful that you can point to and say, this is potential moneymaker stuff right here. But I can't see 8.45 billion dollars in that. However, with this deal with MGM comes things like Real Housewives, uh, which is a huge uh, thing. There's all these reality TV shows, and that's where I think the the most lucrative aspects of this deal come into play. I'm not sure about that. Again, I don't want to talk out of turn. I don't know the actual, you know, appraised value for each of these different franchises, but I could see spending, I don't know, $5 billion on James Bond, but it's always been a franchise that goes back and forth in popularity. They're not consistently billion-dollar movies or something like this. So, you know, in the well, long game, it'll definitely be worth it. I mean, I Go think you, I think you got to look at the worldwide on, on Bond, and I think that Bond alone, and and you granted they'll share control of that with, with the Broccoli's and Eon, you know, who have the creative control over the Bond franchise. Mm. But, uh, you know, they'll still make a whole lot of money off of it. I think Bond alone is probably worth, worth uh, $8 billion dollars. Pretty, pretty so what was the Star Wars deal? I can't remember. I thought it was like more like four point five or something. Uh, you know, I don't remember, but you know, th- you got to remember that was how many years ago? Yes. Yeah. yeah so yeah, these, these things for inflation. These things just escalate as time goes by. The the bigger thing I think for Amazon is the access to that library, and sure. you know, I will grant there are there are some film properties that you think of as MGM because they were originally made by MGM that MGM doesn't own anymore, primarily The Wizard of Oz. Uh, yeah. You know, that's uh, that Warner Brothers has that, and you can go watch that on HBO Max right now, I'm pretty sure. Uh, but it's the same kind of thing. You know, this is an incredible library of content that they're going to be able to add to Amazon Prime and encourage people to, you know, to join that service and stream. So you don't just have things like uh, you mentioned the Bond franchise. You mentioned the Rocky slash Creed franchise. Those two alone 
are huge, but things like Poltergeist and Red Dawn and uh, RoboCop. Yeah, RoboCop. I mean, there's actually a huge value in RoboCop, man. They could decide to make a RoboCop series or, or just start doing new RoboCop movies. And that's a ready-made audience. The Pink Panther, another great example. You know, they start reviving Inspector Clouseau and they do a series or they do another series of movies. You know, that's a, that's a huge, huge property that, you know, is instantly recognizable that uh, they could, you know, capitalize on. And they've already, MGM's already done it here and there. They've done things like a Get Shorty series that, you know, was, yeah. was very successful. You've got things like... It was like great, Far, you know, too, by the way. Yeah, I mean... They own a piece of The Handmaid's Tale. They own a piece of Fargo. You know, yeah. there's a lot, you know, I'm just, I'm just pulled up on my phone here and looking at some of the other, you know, things from MGM's history, but like they have Logan's Run. That's a property that, you know, is ripe for revisiting. You know, they've got things like, uh, and then, you know, there's things like Killer Clowns from Outer Space and Motel yeah. Hell, you know, that are not, you know, necessarily A-list properties, but they have a following and that they could easily remake, reboot, or do some kind of series with or something like that, that there's so much potential there. And that's what it's really all about in these in these deals these days is about it's about the IP more than it is about anything else. Uh, you know, it that, is. that intellectual property, whether it be just something that they can have on their on their service and say, oh, you know, you like, uh, and I'm, this is not an MGM property, but I'm throwing one of the more recent big ones out there. Oh, you like The Office? Well, if you want to watch The Office, you got to have Peacock because we're going to have yeah. uh, we're going to have every episode of The Office on Peacock and we're going to have all kinds of additional content. And, and you know, if you love The Office, you need to have Peacock unless you, uh, and even if you own the DVDs already because they're releasing all this unreleased content and that sort of thing. So, you know, it's it's that kind of thing more than anything. Uh I think that this does give Amazon a little more credibility in the movie world too. You know, they've already done fairly well with the Emmys and the Oscars, but they haven't broken into like that best picture race kind of thing yet. They've had fil- really films that have been nominated, but not a, that have won. And there's that, that resistance to the, you know, the, the streaming end of the world that I think, well, you know, yeah, we're Amazon, but we're MGM. That makes a bit of a difference, you know, same as, uh, you know, people aren't looking at, anything Warner brothers releases as primarily being HBO max, even, you know, in terms of when they're thinking about the awards, you know, nobody was saying, well, we're not going to vote for Judas and the black Messiah because it's, it's released by HBO max. Well, no, it was released by Warner brothers and that's how they're going to look at that. So I, I mean, oh, yeah. you know, over and above that, uh, I think, uh, Jeff Bezos doesn't make a whole lot of dumb investments, you know, I mean, from, from just looking at it from a, you know, a financial, looking at it from a smarts perspective, you know, was this a wise investment? It's a guy that, you know, said, Hey, I'm going to sell books online and now is the richest person in the world. So yeah, if this doesn't know, work out for poor Bezos, I'm going to feel really, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think, I think he knows what he's doing. I don't think I'm worried about that. Uh, no, that ship in the port of Pensacola that he's had over there for like a year and a half now, uh, going away anytime soon because he's got to, uh, put a for sale sign on it. I think it's going to be just fine. Right. Right. Yeah. You know about that, right? Yeah, that's a good take. That, that big ship that he's had in port of uh, port of Pensacola. That's part of his space program. Yeah. This is a, you know, this is small potatoes to a guy that's literally running his own space program. So hold on. No, I had no idea that that was there. Yeah. That big ship that's been in the port of Pensacola for about a year and a half. That's uh, that's belongs to Bezos. That's part of his, uh, I had no idea. Yeah. Part of his space program. So, 
uh, you know, Pensacola reaping a little bit of the benefits of that. So maybe we'll reap a little bit of the benefits of the uh, the MGM deal too. Maybe he'll uh, yeah. Maybe he'll uh, you know open a studio here. Or, you know, well, you you never know. I'm not uh you know I don't have any inside info on that. I'm not uh, not expecting that to happen, but uh, but you know we'll, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> just to just to wrap things up, we got a few more minutes left in the show. Uh, anything you've been uh, really enjoying lately, Jeremy? Because I you know me, I've been so busy, I haven't had time to watch anything. So what are, what are you on? What tip are you on right now? So I recently watched Maniac Cop. Because it was on Joe Bob's last drive-in, ah, and Bruce Zadar. Campbell co-hosted it. Yes, yes, yeah. the chin and the chin, both in the same movie. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but well, yeah, so you know, I watched. You know, of course, the tie is that uh, the tie-in that people may not realize is Robert Zadar passed away here in Pensacola when he when he passed. He'd been here for Pensacon and uh, and took ill and unfortunately passed away a few weeks later. So that's a, that's our eternal tie to that movie. Oh, wow. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, I guess this was the last convention that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, my buddy Holden is coming over here shortly, and we're going to put on The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, he's a pretty big Christian. I'm not, and we're going to just kind of take a look at it from two different perspectives. And I love Martin Scorsese. I'm pretty sure he uh, loves Scorsese, and this is one that I missed. So do you have any... Uh, any any insight that you want to offer me about The Last Temptation of Christ? I mean, it was an incredibly controversial film when it was released. I remember uh, the the big deal that was made out of it where there were literally people picketing theaters and, and trying to keep oh, wow. theaters from... Yeah, it, it was a big, big deal because it, that that's what the whole film is about. It's, you know, it's right there in the title. It's The Last Temptation of Christ, and it's Christ having this vision of having a normal life and, you know, uh, so there were, there were people that were very, very disturbed by that idea, you know, of course, without having actually seen the film and uh, trying to prevent anybody from actually seeing the film. And I, I am not a, a fan of that. I think, you know, you let people see the thing and then they can make the judgment call on their own. But don't try to stop people from actually seeing it because you don't know what I'm it is. I'm just glad to see, see that some things never change. I mean, what has it been four decades and we're still trying to stop artists from making art? Uh, three decades. I think that was in the early nineties, if I recall correctly. So not, not, oh, wow. yeah, not quite four, but yeah, this was, uh, you know, there was, and there was a rash of, uh, of that kind of thing at the time, uh, you know, um, kind of in the same time frame as uh, Kevin Smith's dogma, which got a lot of the same kind of response because it was, uh, I guess a less than chapter and verse text of the Bible version of sure. a religious story. So yeah, the same kind of thing happened to him with 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 Dogma. In fact, uh, he very famously went and joined a protest against Dogma and ended up getting interviewed on TV with them not realizing who he was. So yeah, so I'll <laughs> be interested to hear. Yeah, so I'll be interested to hear uh, hear what you think of it. Uh, you know, it's you know, Scorsese, so you can't really go too too wrong with Scorsese. Uh, we are out of time, Jeremy. It's always great to talk to you. We will be back next week with more. You're listening to Let's Go Pensacola on News Radio 92.3 and AM 1620.